0: Welcome. Thanks for joining us today on The Venture Podcast. We hope this message encourages you and inspires you along your journey. Well, Venture, as we reach the halfway mark in this series in Philippians, I don't know about you, but it has been so helpful for me to really wrestle with these passages and allow them to reframe the way I see the world. And this week, we're gonna finish out the rest of chapter two, pretty long passage, we won't look at all the verses, But in it, I've entitled this message, Working Out What God's Working In. And I think Paul in this passage gives us a great perspective of the things we need to be working out. Now, I don't know about you, as we emerged out of COVID the first time, Uh, we we haven't fully emerged out of it, but you saw people that had been locked down, especially for that long period of time after you hadn't seen people. And some people I would see them and, and man, they were skinny. And in shape. And I'd ask them, like, what happened? They go, you know, I spent the whole time working out and getting in shape. And then there were others of us. We emerged. <laughs> I saw one friend, and, and he was like, I know, I know. I gained a lot of weight. I just sat around and ate the whole time. And, and you go, yep, uh, it, it shows. I, I know I struggle with that. Just being at home during that time period, there was access to a lot of food. I usually don't have access during the day. I, I'm not picking on that, but I do think the same thing has happened to us spiritually during this time. I think during COVID, especially during the lockdown, especially during this disconnection, there's some habits, there's some things that we let drop, that we're having to pick up again. And that's why I think this passage is so appropriate for us. In fact, as we dive in, look at it in chapter 2 of Philippians, and, and our reframed verse of the week is right here at the beginning. And I've put it in two different colors because personally, I've just memorized this second half. I think if you were going to go, man, if there was any part that I want to memorize and really carry, it'd be the second part. But to give context, Paul says, therefore, and he's referring back to what we talked about last week. Specifically, he's referring back to that part of Christ and his willingness to be humble, to become human, to die on a cross, and how God elevated him. And so he's pointing back, man, therefore, based on what Christ did, Paul now challenges them. He says, my beloved, this church in Philippians, he says, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence. So he, he's calling him. he says, hey, therefore, Philippians, you know I love you guys. And I'm going to ask you to do something. I need you to obey. And and not just when I'm with you, but even when I'm far away from you. And here's the the reframe part. And and look how he puts it, because it is such a unique combination in Scripture of what God's calling us to do with human responsibility, but also what God's doing in us with His sovereignty. Look how Paul puts it. He says, work out your salvation with fear and trembling and that's a strong line work out with fear and trembling but then he follows it right up and he says for it is god who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure i want to walk through this because you can get trapped on a number of things the second part of this passage i'll look at the specific workout he's calling us to but we've got to make sure that we have the right theological foundation when you read something like that. Because if you pull any one part of it by itself, you don't have the full picture. So look what Paul's telling us to do. The first point that you see out of this as Christians, we each take personal responsibility for what Christ has given us. He says, work out your own salvation. Now, I put this point as Christians because I want to be really clear if you don't have a relationship with Christ, if you're not a Christian, and I know there's some of you, you're exploring, you've been thinking about it, and I want to make sure I'm really clear on this point, because if you're not a Christian, you can't do this. And In fact, it would be damaging if someone, and maybe you've experienced that, a lot of people have had this, where instead of really inviting a person to have that relationship with Christ first, we start telling them things they need to do, and frankly, you don't have the ability to do it until God's changed you, until you've experienced that. It'd be like if you came into a group of people and you, you sat down and, and the teacher stepped forward and said, hey, today I'm going to teach you how to really write beautiful Cantonese poetry. You're, you're, you're going to be so excellent in it. And So let's dive into the poetry. And, and you'd raise your hand and you go, i got a problem here. I don't know Cantonese. I mean, much less to start writing Cantonese poetry. It's just impossible at that. And I would say the same thing. A lot of the things that you see in Scripture, these commands, these things that that God's frankly calling us to live out, we can only do them because of what Christ has already done in us. Now, if you are a Christian, though, if you notice in this, there's a personal responsibility, though. Your own salvation, that, that work that Christ has done. And so as you look at this, Paul's saying, hey, there is human responsibility in your growth. Now, with that, look at the second point, though. Christ's work for us is complete, but Christ's work in us is ongoing. I want to make sure that's clear, even for Christians, for everyone. He's not saying here that, that there's something left to be done to finish Christ's work of salvation. In fact, when Christ declared, it is finished, it is done, everything that Christ was called to do, He's completely done for us. When you begin a relationship with Christ, when you accept Him, I mean, you are completely forgiven in Him. You are sealed in Him. That's why Paul often used the term justified in the past tense. It's what's been done. But when he's talking about this salvation, and you'll often see this in the New Testament, when Paul uses the word salvation, he's not just talking about that moment of being justified. He's talking about everything that you'll be saved from. And so when you think about every area of my life that Christ has saved me from, but I haven't experienced all that yet, I'm going to be completely saved from sin. One day sin won't have any hold on me whatsoever. I'll be completely saved from pain. I'll be completely saved from disappointment. I'll be completely saved from temptation one day when I'm in eternity with Him. And and so until that day, when He's talking about this salvation process, this ongoing process of what Christ is doing in me. But notice the thrust of this command is, man, there's a responsibility. Hey, Tim, how are you working out what Christ has done? Uh, third thing I, w- I want to point in this, because it's important, we do this with sober respect and awe for who God is and what He says. Notice He says, work out your salvation, and He doesn't say it lightly. Uh, sometimes we kind of treat God like He's one of our buddies. And that no matter how we live, oh yeah, God and me, we're good. We cool God. And, and Paul looks at it and he goes, whoa, wait a second. Man, we're talking about something really serious, just just your life. And as you do this, man, you need to approach this, and notice the term there, with fear and trembling. And, and he's not saying in that that we have to be afraid of God, that we're terrified of Him. Uh, the word here, and I've put it here, it, it's a form, there's a respect, there's a sense of awe in who He is. His perfect love has cast out my fear of Him, but it should, if anything, raise my respect for Him. And so when, when he gives me this command, I approach it in that way. I, I, I love how one pastor put it when he describes the fear of the Lord. L- listen to how he describes it. He said, I used to think that living in the fear of the Lord is, is like driving down the street while watching the policeman in your rearview mirror. But actually, there's a better picture for the fear of the Lord. It's like a teenage driver who suddenly spots her father's car in her rearview mirror. Seeing him back there puts her on notice to be on her best behavior, to use her blinkers, to stop at the yellow light, to keep both hands on the wheel. But it also tells her that her father cares enough to follow her. It tells her that she's safe. Her father's not trying to trap or trick her. He's trying to help her develop good habits, not just to be careful on this trip, but to obey the laws and stay safe until she gets home. She's driving on her own, but not completely on her own. And then he turns it this way, he says, So it is for the people of God. The fear of the Lord means we live life with our Heavenly Father always in our rear view mirror. We glance up and we see His brilliant holiness, but also His care and His love. Our response, the fear of the Lord, this respect for the Lord, is a mix of reverence, trust, and love. And so as Paul looks at it in this verse, he says, you need to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. There's that sense of reverence. There's that sense of trust. That I really believe everything that God's calling me to do in working this out really is for my good. Now, you look at the next line with it, though, and, and you've got to recognize that God is working to change both our desires and our behavior. So if you stopped after this one line, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, if you put a period there... You would think it all depends on us. I mean, it's like, man, you've got to work it out. You've got to get in gear. But then Paul immediately comes back and he says, oh, no, no, it's not just human responsibility. God's absolutely sovereign. You'll see Paul do this a lot in Scripture. He has no problem with both these categories. We, we try to a lot of times make problems. And he goes, they're both true. You absolutely have to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. But, hey, recognize at the same time, it's God who works in you. Remember, he said last chapter, he who began a good work in you, he's the one that's completing it. Well, Everything that you even do in your human responsibility was already a part of his sovereign plan. And so he says, God works in you both to will, he's changing your desires, and to work, he's changing your actions for his good pleasure. And so that's that great combination. I love how only God could design it, that he designed it in his way in his sovereign plan That yes, I am to be motivated and take responsibility, but he's working in me to change really the desires of my heart. It's an inside out transformation. And then that leads to changing my actions. I remember years ago, I was in a a small group, Lee and I, and we had some different couples in it. And we had one couple in the group, and they had just become Christians right before the group. And so they're early on in their journey. And so you could watch. God doing this in their life is he's, he's literally changing them. And I remember one day we were, we were sharing and they were kind of laughing. They were like, we don't know what's happened to us. And I said, well, what do you mean? And they said, well, you know, I mean, we loved to go out and party on Saturday night. I mean, we, we would go we'd hit clubs and party with that. And, and now we find ourselves, we don't like that. Not like we did. And, and they said, here's the weirdest part. We signed up and we're teaching in the nursery at church. And we just found, you know what, we enjoy that more. We find ourselves going to bed on Saturday night earlier because we want to be prepared for that. Man, we're we're getting more fulfillment out of that than what used to be our regular pattern of life. And and they really meant it in a curious way. We're like, man, we we don't know what's happening. Maybe we're just getting old. And they were still a pretty young couple. And I, I just laughed, I thought, this is this principle in action. Nobody had to come down on a Man, you stop that and you stop doing what you're doing. It's just God was working in them. And they realize it's changing our very desires, both the will and the work, both the desire and the action that he's doing in them. Now, last thing he points out, look, look at this. God is pleased through his perfect plan. We work out what he's working in. Guys, only God could come up with this plan. And he came up with it from eternity past. When it talks about God and our salvation from eternity past, it wasn't just that one moment when you get saved. Man, he had the whole thing planned out. And he loves seeing the plan work. And he loves seeing it in your life. Look what it says, for his good pleasure. Man, it literally brings him pleasure when he sees these things coming together of what he planned, what he's doing in us. But as we make those choices, as we work out this salvation... And, and we don't know, honestly, we don't know how, how does that work completely with His sovereignty and my choices. There's a mystery that's a part of it. What I love is even in that mystery, man, as we embrace that, God looks at it and He goes, oh man, that, that, that pleases me so much. He looks at a life and He goes, I love seeing that. I love seeing my plan in action in your life in my life. And so when I read that and I read this command, I go, okay, man, how do I work out? How how do I do this? And the great thing about Paul, if you ever read Paul's books, he'll always tell you, if you just keep reading, and so the rest of this chapter, he's going to give us a workout plan. And I don't want you, I want you to think about it kind of like a physical workout plan. If you were going to get in shape or start working out again, he's going to give us a workout plan here. Now, a lot of times when we talk about spiritually working out, we immediately go to spiritual disciplines. Like, how do we read our Bible? How do we pray? How do we fast? How do we do those actions, those habits that help develop holiness in our life? And, And Paul uses that language in other places. I mean, he tells Timothy to train yourself like you're in the gym. And so there's a place for spiritual disciplines. This workout plan's a little bit different. It's almost like he's written a catered plan for what this church needs to hear because some of the issues they're struggling with. And as I read through this, I'll be honest, I can't think of a better workout plan for churches in America today. I can't think of a better workout plan post-COVID and all that we've been through for our church. And so as you look at this, you think about five steps. If I were going to give you this workout plan, that's a little different maybe, but in it, look at the first step. First step is you've got to stop the destructive habits. So if you're going to start working out, you got to stop dest- destructive habits. Picture if a guy goes into the gym, and and he's in there and he he gets the trainer and he says, "Hey, I am, <laughs> I am out of shape. I'm overweight. I, I I get out of breath instantly. I'm coughing a lot. My skin's pasty and blood pressure's up. You got to help me. I want to start working out." Well, the trainer probably is going to look at him and go, okay, wait a second. Let's talk about maybe some other parts of your lifestyle before we just think about the workout. Tell me any habits or anything maybe that's not the healthiest. And he says, well, you know, I, I do smoke two packs a day. I mean, I'm pretty regular about that. And So you go, well, okay, that's probably not helping the lungs. Probably not helping the blood pressure. Tell me about your diet. Well, I eat fast food all day. I mean, I'm on the go all the time. It's fast food. You know, hamburgers, fried chicken, fried foods. I always order a Diet Coke, though. So I got that going for me. But the rest of the day, you know, I'm kind of slamming Red Bulls. I mean, I'm I'm under stress all the time, so I'm slamming Red Bulls. What what about at night? Well, you know, before I go to bed, I I usually hammer a pint of Ben and Jerry's. And then I chase it with a couple of Twinkies. Now, if you heard all that, I can promise you, you know what the trainer's going to tell them? Before you start to work out, there's some things you have to cut out. In fact, if, if you don't cut out these destructive things, man, it's going to really be hard to embrace the good of what's coming in this. Paul does the same thing, by the way. He looks at his church, this church he loves, this church he's so joyful about, but he goes, hey, I'm seeing some destructive habits. And there's a couple things you got to cut out. Look what he says. Do all things, and here's what's showing up, without grumbling or disputing. Here's what those two things are. It's pretty clear. First one is complaining, and the second one is arguing. This grumbling, it's complaining. It's the same word. You'll see it in the Hebrew all throughout the Old Testament. The most consistent time it shows up is when the children of Israel are being led by God. And they go through, whether it's in the wilderness, they're going through these times when they've been led out of Egypt. And over and over again, they reach this point where they don't like what God's doing. They don't like the food. They don't like what's happening. They don't like where they're going. And it says they complain. In fact, if you read through the stories, it's one of the things God hates the most. He hates complaining of his children. Because there's, there's this disjunction, this, this this, this, it doesn't match with all that he's done, they're complaining. And then you add that, this arguing or disputing. And, and again, this isn't saying that you don't stand up for truth, you don't speak up for truth. Paul did that, obviously. That's why he's in prison. This is talking about your dispute. You're, you're arguing about the things that don't matter. There's a squabbling within the body that comes. And and Paul looks at both of these. He says, hey, before you can ever work out, there's some things you have to cut out. And at the core of it, you got to cut out the complaining and you got to cut out the arguing. And guys, I I, got to be honest, as I read through this, I go, man, I think we all need to hear this right now. It's been a hard season. There's so much going on. And I think for all of us, it's just easy to get into a complaining spirit, because we don't like it. Now, as I say that, uh, uh, hear me. I'm not saying that we all have to agree. We talked about this last week. Unity does not mean uniformity. And and it was interesting last week, you know, I, I read through the Five different groups in America, Nate Silver, the percentages of people, their perspective on vaccination and COVID with that. And as we went through each group, and I've heard from so many of you this week, as you, you know, for all of us, there's probably one of those five that we go, yes, I agree with that group. And then there's some of those five, you look at it and you go, well, <laughs> I do not agree with them. We got different perspectives on it. You may not agree with me even on this point. I, I've found this to be true, though. As I've read, as I've talked to different people in each of those different perspectives, I have found reasonable people in each of those categories. Now, it doesn't mean I agree with them. Some of them I absolutely don't agree with them. But they're reasonable in their approach. I can see, okay, that's from their perspective. This is what they're basing it on. I've found reasonable people in all those categories. Likewise, I have found wackadoodle people in all those categories. All of them. Even the ones I agree with. That's the hardest part. I don't know if you've experienced this, where it's somebody and you go, oh yeah, we agree, we agree. And then they say something kind of like out there and you start distancing. Well, maybe we don't agree as much as I thought. I, I, I say all this because I think in every category, it doesn't matter what your perspective is. It is very easy to both argue with the people that are different than us and complain about what's going on. And Paul looks at us, and and notice the verse, do all things in every circumstance without grumbling or arguing. And you might look at that and you go, yeah, but Paul never had to deal with a mask mandate. (laughs) I think he'd look at us and go, oh yeah, you've never been chained to a Roman guard 18 hours a day. Which is what he was experiencing when he wrote this. And I'll say this to diminish what we're going through. But I do say it because I think we've got to look at our attitudes. And and I say it to me, guys, as much as anybody else. The things that can frustrate me, the things I might disagree with. My first response should not be complaining. Because we have been the people that have been the most blessed. Just like the children of Israel. God looks at it and goes, look at all I've done for you. And now you're complaining about that? And I just started thinking about it. I mean, as His children... No one else has received forgiveness as much as we have. No one else has received more grace than we have. Grace upon grace. No one else has experienced His love more than we have. His perfect love for us. No one else has been adopted and changed like we have. No one else has more security for all eternity more than we have. No one else has more protection over our lives and our souls more than we have. No one else has a better future or hope. Than we have. I mean, when you start going through the categories of the things that really matter, he's lavished us. And so in this season, even in hard times, man, we we ought to check our mouths real quick before we complain. We ought to really check our hearts before, man, we're so quick to dispute Th- this unity that he's calling us to. Remember what we said last week. We don't have to come to the table with the same opinion, but we come to the table like-minded with the same approach that Jesus did in it. And, and I'd encourage you, because once you get in a season where we're complaining, I know when it starts taking root in my heart, how quickly it comes back again, or my frustration comes quickly. Uh, listen to how Jeff Mannion puts it. I, I love how he describes it. He, he says, the heart drifts toward complaint as if by gravitational pull. After all, complaint seems a reasonable response to a sequence of disappointing events. Generally, you don't have to extend an invitation for complaint to show up. It, It arrives as an uninvited guest. You return home from yet another frustrating day to discover that complaint has moved into your guest room, unpacked its luggage, started a load of laundry, is rooting through your fridge. Even as you seek to dislodge complaint, as you move its bags to the curb, as you change the locks, it crawls back in through the guest room window. Complaint resist eviction. I know I've found that to be true. Before we know it, complaint feels right because it's familiar. With every struggle, we become like the Israelites murmuring in the desert. We miss faith lessons. God desires to prepare us and to build things into us, but we're hunkered down in a pattern of response. We need to wake up and notice what is happening. So how do we evict a spirit of complaint? He says, I've heard it said that bad movement pushes out good movement and good movement pushes out bad movement. We can discourage complaint's residency in our lives by inviting another guest to move in with us. That new guest is trust. When we choose to trust in the face of deep disappointment, complaint has less space to maneuver. While attempting to unpack uh, for an extended stay, it discovers that trust has taken up all the drawers in the guest room and already occupies the empty seat at the table. Listen to this. Trust evicts complaint. Trust and complaint are incompatible roommates. One inevitably pushes the other one out. And that was a convicting word as I read it. And, and I would just challenge us. This truth that Paul's talking about working out our salvation... He says, hey, before you work out, there's some things you got to cut out. And I think it'd be a good season. I'm not comparing to anybody else. I'm talking about my own heart to just look at it and go, man, do do I need to evict complaint? And to do that, do I need to invite trust in God in that much more? Now, the second part of our workout plan here, Paul tells us to, is strengthen the core of your character. So you're getting rid of that. Now you want to strengthen the core. And, and if you talk to anybody that works out, if you have a strong core, it impacts everything. It impacts your balance, impacts your, your life, impacts your agility with that. And so, so many exercises are focused on strengthening your core. So Paul says, hey, you need to strengthen the core. When he talks about the core, he's talking about your character. Look how he describes it here. He says that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish. He's describing that core, that character in three ways. Blameless, innocent, and children of God who are without blemish. So the first of this, this blameless, here's what he means with this. There's no area of your life that's open to accusation. When he says you're blameless, he's not talking about that you're perfect. None of us are Christ. Doesn't mean that you'll never sin. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to forgive our sins. So we we recognize we're going to sin, we're going to stumble. But but he's talking about, is there any area of your life that someone could look at that whole area and go, man, you you are not addressing this. You're not dealing with this. You're not facing that. And so you're vulnerable in that way. He says, you need to work on that if there is. Any area of your life with that. You need to address that with God. Because God wants to work out in you what he's already planned for you. The uh, second part of that word, innocent, means actually it's a purity. Your, your life's unmixed. Or, or another way is integrity. You're whole. You think of an integer as a whole number. So you're whole in the way that you do life. There's a consistency in how you do life. Uh, we talked about it in Better Man. I've preached on it before. You, all of us have this operating system that impacts how we do life. And so when you live in purity, when you live in integrity, all it's saying is, I have the same operating system in every context. So the same decisions I would make in my home, the operating system that impacts that, it also operates in my work. The same way that I would speak to a person in person, I'd also speak to them when I'm online. The same values I would have when I'm sitting in church are the same values I have when I'm turning on Netflix. I mean, all these things, it's it's how do I get my life that there's a consistency in the approach with that? And so there's integrity at the core. The third thing, he says that without blemish, that, that God's standards become your, cons- uh, become your consistent choices. And, and so all this means in that is as children of God without blemish, uh, is describing, he's referencing, Christ was without blemish. Christ was God's perfect standard. And so in the same way as I'm thinking about my life and I'm making choices in my life, I want to live as a child of God. And, and I'll never be perfect as Christ, but I'm perfect in Christ. And in that, that suddenly becomes the standard. And so what God said, how He describes it, is I'm making choices through life. I don't settle now for what I might naturally choose or comparing to someone else. Man, I'm always looking at Christ. I go, okay, that's my standard. What would Christ do here? What what did Christ tell me to do here? How how do I live this out here? See, all, all three of these are just fundamental parts of developing a core standard. A core strength in that. And so Paul calls us to live that out. Then as we do that, you look at the third part of it, you develop a life that shows the difference. So think about our workout again. We're getting rid of the habits we don't need to have. In this case, particularly complaining and arguing. We're developing some core strength to our character. But, you know, the reality is anytime you work out, you want something to show for it. I Maybe mean, we want some muscles. You think of Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and the flexing. And so people that work out, you know, they always talk, I want a six-pack and work out your abs with it. I remember years ago, I was sitting on the sofa and there was some commercial for a, an exercise tool. And, and the boys had gotten into six-pack. They were little, I mean, like five or six. And one of them asked me, they are like, Dad, Dad, are you going for a six-pack? And I told them, you know, I just went straight for the keg. It, it's working for me in that. But if you work out, I mean, you see people, man, they can make it that washboard and ripple. Or, or guys in particular, man, we love the biceps. Get the bulging biceps or the, or the pecs with that. Uh, unfortunately, I'm not able to show you as much physically, but you know what I'm talking about. It is getting harder for us as pastors. I'll, I'll just say that. You know, as pastors, you always got to kind of figure out what you're going to wear. And, and some churches, you wear a robe. And some churches, they wear a, a suit. For those of us in casual church, we've kind of settled two routes I've noticed. There's a lot of us that uh, maybe we're not as buff, so we've gone the untuck it route. And uh, we kind of, you know, untuck it, we're magically kind of, you know, hiding what might be going on. It's like the opposite of a girdle. We just let it out, let's go with it. But but there's a new trend, especially the last few years, I, I don't know if you see it, man, you see some buff pastors. I mean, these dudes are ripped and, and uh, count me impressed. Uh, literally anytime i see somebody that man is really worked out i'm always impressed with it because i know how physically helpful it is how mentally helpful it is with it but but i kind of laugh a little bit at pastors sometimes because they get like ripped and then suddenly it looks like they bought their shirts in the boys section like literally i'm looking at them like was that shirt really for a man your size And you kind of see them there, you know, they got the Bible and usually have the microphone so that they're they're always showing the gun for the whole sermon. They kind of flex it there. And, you know, you feel like, man, they're putting the man back in man of God. I mean, they've got it going on. (laughs) And even I say it, some of you are going with Tim. you're just jealous. Maybe. I I look at that. Anybody that works out, though, I, I, I admire it. And let's all be honest. If we work out, we want something to show for it. Well, Paul says the same thing he says man you're going to get rid of these habits you're going to strengthen this core and then you need to develop a life that shows the difference you're showing the world this work of what god's doing in you that you're working out how does he say this look how he puts it in that same verse he says you're blameless innocent children in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation Man, you stand out in comparison among whom you also shine as lights in the world. So look at the two parts of that. One, you're different than the culture around you. People see the difference. I love how he describes this so graphic, this crooked and twisted generation. And and we often think, oh man, the culture today, it's the worst that it's ever been. Paul says this happens in culture over and over. Crooked means that natural bent. Uh, The Greek word scolio, we get scoliosis from it. And somebody's spine is bent. It's almost this this pointing out that they don't know better. And that their bent, but then twisted, add twisted to that, that is the conscious choices they've made on top of it. So he says, you've got this picture of this this generation. It's like a stick that's not only bent and crooked, but it's also twisted. And, And you're to live in a way that people see the difference. People look at it and you go, man, there is something different about your life. Now that can be hard. And let me say this especially to young people. Man, as you start standing like this, as you start living like this, and you're different, it it can be hard when the culture's so different than you. But Paul says, hey, that's part of working out your salvation. They're always going to be crooked in different ways. It's always going to twist in different ways. We don't twist with it. We stand different from it. And then with that, look at the second part of that. though. You bring light to the darkness. He says you're shining as lights in the world. And and so there's this certain part where we stand on the truth and we're different, but we also want to shine that truth and especially the goodness of God into the world. Remember when Jesus described us as the light of the world? He said, let your light so shine that people would see your good works and give glory to the Father. And so this difference, this thing that they notice, just like a a weightlifter comes in and, man, you notice the muscles, Paul says, I want you to work out in a way that this is what people notice. Man, They they notice a lifestyle that stands different from what the culture is doing. They notice people who are doing good things in the culture. They're doing good for their city. They're doing good for their neighbors. They're bringing God's love and truth to the world. And then add to that, the fourth thing in the workout plan, maintain a strong grip on the truth. I I don't know if you've ever worked somebody that's really strong, you feel their grip. In fact, I had a friend back when I was in college, and uh, he went out on a date with a girl. And I asked him, I said, how'd it go? He goes, it was great, except, man, when I went to pick her up. He, He gets to the house, and the dad's there, and the dad wasn't a really big guy, but he invites him in. He says, oh, yeah, my daughter's still upstairs. She's still getting ready. Hey, come on over here. And when he came over, he he grabbed his hand to shake it, but the dad didn't let it go. He he just kept shaking and smiling at him. And he said, you know, there's 27 bones in the human hand. And he's like, "Uh, yes, sir. And the whole time he's speaking, he starts gripping a little bit more. He said, yep, 27 bones in the human hand. He said, I don't know what you have planned for these hands of yours, but I'll crush every one of them if you hurt my little girl. And then he smiled again, and with that, I mean, he was crushing it almost at that point. He could feel the grip, and, and his daughter came down the stairs, and then she came over, and she gave her dad a kiss, and they're walking out, and she's like, what were you and daddy talking about? And he he's like, oh, nothing. His hand's throbbing the whole time. And she said to him, she said, isn't daddy so sweet? And he thought, oh yeah, so sweet. I remember hearing the story at the time. I was like, man, that dad is a little overbearing. Now that I'm a dad, I'm like, man, I like that guy. I like the way he does it. Uh, My friend told me the rest of the night he could feel it. He said, man, that guy wasn't very big. I think he worked his grip out all the time just to make that point. Paul looks at us and he says, hey, when you're thinking about this, working out your salvation, here's the key. Look how he puts it in this passage hold fast to the word of life i mean literally there get a grip on it hold on tight to it so that the de- in the day of christ i may be proud that i did not run in vain or labor in vain he says as you do this thing hold on with all you have and, and i encourage you the two parts of this he's pointing out is hold on to the truth of god's word I mean, don't lose the truth that's here And frankly, we've got a generation right now where people are letting go of it. They're in the name of kind of deconstructing, deciding which parts of the truth we're actually going to hold on. In fact, I would add to this, the second part is you hold on to the teaching of God's people. Paul, when he says, hold on to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I may be proud. He's talking about his investment in them. He's talking about what he had taught them. And I'd say the same thing. It's not enough to just go, well, I hold on to the Bible, but I'm going to kind of reinterpret the Bible the way I see it. Or this is what the Bible actually means to me. I hear that a lot today. And as much as someone might be saying, well, I'm still holding on to the Bible, you know what they're doing? They're letting go of God's truth. Guys, there's, there's a truth of how the Bible's been interpreted, how it's been taught. And if you find yourself moving in a position away from what's been taught, in some cases for thousands of years, for a couple of thousand years, there's been some key definition of of what does marriage mean. For a couple of thousand years, there's been key definition of what truth means, key definition of what salvation means. And and people are willing to, to let go of that and get looser with it. Paul says, don't lose your grip. I mean, you hold on firm with it. The final part, we'll just conclude with this. You need to cultivate relationships which will encourage your growth. You need workout buddies. And if you read through the rest of the passage, we don't have time in this message, Paul kind of highlights three types of relationships in your workout, in your growth. He points out his relationship with them. So everybody needs a Paul, someone who's building into you. And then he also points out the next passage, he talks about Timothy. Someone you're building into, and so Paul had poured into Timothy's life, and now Timothy can pour into others. Uh, Howard Hendricks used to always say, "Everybody needs a Paul in their life; they need a Timothy in their life." And then he would say a Barnabas. He was talking about a different passage. In this passage, Paul points out an Epaphroditus. This is one of the guys from the church in Philippi. This is someone who partners together with you. And so, so here's the point: you need a mentor. You need someone who's training you. You need someone who's speaking into your life. And I would say the same thing spiritually. As you're working this out, as you're thinking about your character, as you're thinking about your grip on God's Word, as you're thinking about being a light in the world, who's pouring into you? Who's mentoring you? Who's training you? It may be somebody personally in your life. It may be somebody that you've latched onto their teaching and you're really learning from. But everybody needs somebody pouring in. Secondly, everybody needs someone you're building into, that you're pouring into. Everyone, no matter where you are on the journey. And and I would encourage you. I I mean, one of the great ways we have it happen on our campus every weekend is in our children's ministry. We have it on Tuesday night. I see adults who, here's what they're living out. It's like they want to go and say, who can I pour into? And if you've never done that, this is a responsibility you have. If you're a parent You have Timothys, they're running all over your house. And we have to go, am I pouring into them? Am I teaching them? Am I training them in these things that matter? And and then the final part, everybody needs an Epaphroditus. You need partners in life who they're living the same way. And and I would encourage you, you know, we're we're in this season, we're about to launch life groups again. And the reason we call everybody adventure to get into a life group is so that you can have these kind of relationships. You can have people that spur you on in the right way. Guys, as we look at it, and I'll just conclude, I think this is a pretty comprehensive workout plan we need. I think we need to be a people. There's some destructive habits. We just got to get rid of them. There's some core strengths and character that we need to develop again. There's some muscles we want to show. There's some things we want to show the world that's different about Christ then there's a grip that we've got to have on his truth. And all of us have to have the people that are pouring into us, the people that we're pouring into, and the people that partner with us in that. Now, in COVID, maybe you got out of some habits physically, but maybe you got out of some habits spiritually. What a perfect time right now to go, yeah, I'm going to work this out i'm going to trust that what god's working in he's also given me the ability to work out because i want to be the kind of person that my life brings him great pleasure will you pray with me god i thank you thank you for the clarity of your word i thank you for paul who who knew this church so much he wrote this letter for them but it resonates so much with us today Lord, I I pray these things that I'm preaching, you know I need to live out, things I need to put in action. So I pray, show me how to do that. I thank you so much that while you command me to work this out, you've equipped me because you're already working it in. Lord, I pray we'd rest in that today and trust that truth and pray this in Christ's name. Amen. We hope today's message encouraged you in your journey of faith. To keep up with the latest messages and what's happening, make sure to subscribe to this podcast and visit venture.cc.